This week on Daiwa, we're in Monroe County. A woman answers a knock at her door and is greeted by a former lover and two bullets. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValle and Allie Tulin. Okay, we're in Monroe County this week. We are. We are wrapping up season two. How are you feeling? I mean, we're we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> it feels like this isn't know, the last episode. I, is it? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to go off script. Sound natural. Didn't work. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, have you been to Monroe County? <laughs> you know, I don't think I have. Have you? I think I have. Nice. But I wouldn't be able to tell you when or where. Okay. Well, I guess I'd be able to tell you where, but not where. <laughs> <laughs> Did learn some things. It is just like a south central county in the state, and the county seat is Albia, which is the largest city in the county. And according to the 2020 census, their population was a little over 3,700. And according to their website, the first court in Monroe County was held at John Clark's residence in Clarksville, but it was known as Kishkikosh County, which I thought was kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think they had to change it because then it would be KKK? Ooh. Yeah, probably. Ruin the mood. Um, yeah, so I also have a fun fact. Let's hear it. The town Melrose, Iowa, is also in Monroe County. And in 1937, with a population a little over 400 people, the Melrose Shamrocks became the Iowa State High School basketball champions. Their high school enrollment was only 66 people, so the Shamrocks were the smallest school ever to win a single-class state basketball title in Iowa. The team finished their season 33-0, to the first undefeated boys basketball team in Iowa history. So, basically, that's adorable, and who needs the movie Hoosiers when you have this story? <laughs> also, do you think Luck of the Irish was based off of this I movie? I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so cool. Um, okay, well, my other fun fact is about a person from Monroe County. And her name was Mary Louise Smith. And just like a caveat, she was born in Eddyville, which is part of Monroe, Wapolo, and Mahaska County. But she was a cool lady, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about her. So Mary was born in Eddyville and graduated from the University of Iowa in 1935. She moved to Eagle Grove, Iowa, and got active in Republican Party politics and became the membership chair of the Iowa Council of Republican Women in 1961 and was elected vice chairwoman of the Wright County Republican Central Committee the following year. And so she was elected the National Committee Woman for Iowa in 1964 and held that post for the next 20 years. And then during the wake of the Watergate scandal, President Gerald Ford named her the female chair of the Republican National Committee, and she held that post until 1977. So... She was the first woman of her party and the second woman of a major party to organize a presidential nominating convention. Wow. I know. She also was an outspoken champion of abortion rights and women's rights, 
and served on the board of directors of Planned Parenthood of Greater Iowa from 1986 to 1992. And at a National Women's Political Caucus in 1989, she said the caucus had to convey the message that supporting reproductive rights is, quote, a good thing to do. Um, but she died in 1997. Wow. Just kind of an interesting, Very... you know, take on a Republican lady that you just don't see nowadays. Completely true. Also very topical. Right. Topical fun fact. But let's get to the murder. So this murder uh, happens in 1903. Teddy Roosevelt is president. The Wright brothers have their first successful flight. The first box of Crayola crayons is made and sold for five cents. And Coca-Cola removes cocaine from their formula. Classic. (laughs) And John Dillinger was born this year in Indiana. So if you want to hear more about his robbery in Iowa, check out our bonus episode about John Dillinger. But in Buxton, Iowa, on October 16th, a Mrs. Mary Kennedy was making breakfast for her husband who was returning from his night shift at the mines when she heard a knock at their door. She answered to find a man she knew who greeted her, but with two bullets to her breast. The man who had shot Mary was known as Jim Smith. She reportedly knew him from when they previously lived in Virginia. Smith had been in love with Mary in Virginia and tried to convince her to elope with him, but she turned down his offer. Mary eventually got married and moved to Iowa with her husband. So according to the Knoxville Express, Smith had just shot Mary with two 44 caliber bullets, and it was said she died almost instantly. There was a neighbor who heard the shots and came running over, but when she decided to go grab a physician, Smith threatened to shoot her too, and so the neighbor complied and Smith walked away. And again, Mr. Kennedy had been working in the mines that night, and he was supposed to be home in less than 30 minutes when Mary answered the knock at the door. So this wasn't the first time that Mary had trouble with Smith. Charges had been filed with a Monroe grand jury to secure the indictment of Jim Smith for assault with intent to commit murder. It was reported that he had severely beaten her when she refused his advances. He was in jail only for four months for the assault and came back to Buxton and shot Mary after his release. Sheriff Donner of Monroe County used bloodhounds to try to find Smith. The Tumwa Tri-Weekly Courier said the miners at Buxton heard the news on their way to work that morning and dropped their dinner buckets to pick up weapons as they helped hunt down the murderer. It was said for a day the woods in Monroe County were full of determined men hunting for the brutal murderer of a defenseless woman. One friend of Kennedy's, uh, Robert Martin, found Smith in Hawking, Iowa. He leapt through the door with two handguns and said, quote, Throw up your hands or I will blow the whole damn top of your head off. Smith responded with, quote, It is a good thing it is you and not that dog of a husband Kennedy. Before I would be taken by that fellow, I would die in my tracks. Assistance came later and Smith was put in the Albia jail. When word spread that Smith was captured, the men in Buxton gathered around the streets in groups and discussed taking him from the officials, but the mob lacked organization. Sheriff Donner said he didn't fear a demonstration would take place because he had taken precautions against an attack. Sheriff Donner quoted Smith the night he was captured, saying he doesn't feel at all sorry for what he's done, and even expressed a feeling of relief that the woman was out of the way. The coroner's jury found Mary Kennedy died from a pistol shot in the hands of C.H. or Jim Smith, and that the murder was deliberate. No date had been set for the preliminary hearing, though it was said Smith would likely waive and allow his case to go directly to the grand jury. 
It was also assumed Smith would be given a speedy trial and that the verdict will be recommendation for the death sentence. The Knoxville Express reported that Mary was buried the day after her murder. The cemetery she was buried in was not listed. On November 22, 1903, Smith confessed to the murder of Mary Kennedy. He pled guilty and was sentenced to hang the following year. The Ottumwa Tri-Weekly Courier reported that for the first time in almost 20 years, a judge in the 2nd Judicial District of Iowa has sentenced a man to death for murder. The judge, M.A. Roberts, was considered a fair man and excellent judge, but it was the first time he had found it to be his duty to pronounce the death sentence during the seven years he has been a judge in the district court. Judge Roberts was interviewed after the trial and said that, after a thorough examination into the facts regarding the case, he decided to pronounce the sentence of death upon Smith. He said the murder of Mary Kennedy was the most brutal that has ever come to his official notice, and he felt called upon to exact a most severe penalty from the man who committed it. A man present in the courtroom during the sentencing was quoted saying, Smith took the sentence as he would take a dose of medicine. He did not seem to realize the gravity of his condition fully during the entire proceedings, and it would seem to me that he made up his mind to kill Mrs. Kennedy, fully realizing that he would probably have to pay with his life for her own. When the sentence was pronounced, he did not flinch, nor show the slightest emotion. Another paper had the headline, quote, Takes a life for a life. Joseph Smith must die for murder of Mrs. Mary Kennedy. The black coal miner must pay for the brutal and inexcusable murder in cold blood of Mrs. Robert Kennedy at Buxton on October 16th. It went on to say Smith reportedly had a little over a year to, quote, make his peace with his God and prepare to go to his death. For on Friday morning, December 5th, 1904, he will don the black death mask and take his place on the gallows to be hurled into eternity and to the powers higher than any earthly court, the penalty for taking the life of a fellow being. His hanging was scheduled for Friday, December 5th, 1904. It was the first death sentence passed in the judicial district in 10 years. On December 29th of 1904, the warden at Fort Madison had been notified to make preparations for the execution, but Smith appealed, which meant a stay of execution for an indefinite period. It was assumed it would then be taken up by the Supreme Court within a year. The grounds for the appeal were not known. Smith's attorney, John Clarkson of Albia, went to Fort Madison to get Smith's signature for an appeal, but it was said the attorney had to work to convince Smith that he should even sign. Again, he didn't seem phased by his own death penalty. We also hear in December of 1905 that Smith was one of 14 lifetime inmates of Iowa penitentiaries that asked the legislature for a pardon. By April of 1906, Smith's execution was scheduled for April 20th. It is said to be it was said to be the first legal hanging in Iowa in 10 years. A proclamation was entered by Governor Cummins. The warden Janes of the Fort Madison Penitentiary had suggested postponing the time of the hanging until, quote, high noon, even though all prisons had the execution with the rising sun at the time. Smith was still reported to be unconcerned. He said, quote, I want one more good square meal before I die, Mr. Sheriff. I might as well die on a full stomach, unquote. Sheriff Caldwell agreed, and Smith ordered a porterhouse steak, custard pie, French sardines, young green onions, olives, mashed potatoes, coffee, bread, butter, jelly, and anything else you've got that's good. Have you ever had young green onions? 
It doesn't sound great. Yeah, I was wondering also, what that was. What's your what's your uh, last meal or whatever? I actually just talked about this last weekend, and I said <laughs> the combination Taco Bell pizza. <laughs> oh I just want to put a ton of Taco Bell hot sauce on a like cheese pizza. <laughs> Oh my god. What's yours? That's amazing. <laughs> oh man, it's probably that Umi sushi that we had. Can't get over it. I will never get over the it. The Belltown Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. Okay, glad we know each other's last meals. <laughs> Back to the story. Smith slept well that night and he was given just what he requested for lunch about an hour before the hanging. A chaplain Jessup and Reverend Reed both visited Smith before the sentence was carried out. The chaplain said he was unable to convert Smith to Christianity, and Reverend Reed said Smith repented and prayed for forgiveness, but maintained he was justified in killing Mary. It was also said no relative or friend came to visit Smith during his time in the penitentiary. One paper reported that some said Smith was taunted by Mary and had been abandoned by her, which forced him to act out. But there was no confirmation of this. According to the Tumwa Tri-Weekly Courier, on the first stroke of 12 noon, Joseph C. Smith was hung. Mary's husband, Robert Kennedy, stood calmly by and witnessed the, quote, manifestation of the law's revenge. Smith was reportedly with it until the end and joked with Sheriff Caldwell of Monroe County as the noose was adjusted. Quote, you are now doing what the old man referencing John Doner, Monroe County's late sheriff, told he was going to do, said Smith to Caldwell with a smile as the rope was being put over his head. Forty men watched Smith's death. Smith greeted the group and said, Howdy, gentlemen, but stopped talking as soon as the rope and cap were on. It was reported the fall broke his neck and he never moved a muscle after the slack was taken up. Robert Kennedy was quoted saying, He got what was coming to him, but he didn't get it quick enough. Though he died quick today, but no quicker than she did three years ago. And that's all we have for this episode, so you ready to give Taps a call? Let's do it. Hey Taps, thanks for joining. Good evening. We are doing Monroe County. Um, Have you been? I have. As in a former episode, it's kind of in those southern tier counties where I've had probably the least experience in Iowa. So again, no fun facts. Wow, no it's really something, yeah. Well, except that it was once the largest coal mining county in Iowa. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Oh, well, there you go. That counts. Uh, yeah. All right. How many jilted lover murders have you come across? A significant amount. It's probably in the top three or four reasons that people commit murder. Can you list the top three or four? Um, I would say that's one. 
money is obviously one. Um, drugs would be one. Farmland. Well, in <laughs> Iowa. Yeah. All right. So this guy Smith had assaulted Mary before the murder and was put away for four months, like only for four months after, you know, threatening her. Could that still happen today where he had threatened to murder is in prison and they just let him go? Based on the facts, anything can happen, but no, probably not. He probably would have served a significant amount of time. And gotten like a restraining order? Well, and depending on the relationship prior, might even been a protection order, domestic abuse order. Are those automatically given if someone comes and says they're being harassed? No, you have to apply for it. And to get a protection order, there has to be an intimate relationship of some type. And how long does that process take? Uh, Protection orders you can get within a couple hours. That's good. How is the death sentence determined? It depends on the state. Um, There was a lot of Supreme Court litigation. So the Supreme Court did away with the death sentence back in the early 70s, and the case escapes me now. Um, But they, they looked across the lay of the land, and they saw death penalties being done in 50 different ways, 48 different ways, whatever, across the country, even to the point, I believe it was in Louisiana, where you could be put to death for sexual abuse. You didn't even have to commit murder. They saw a lot of racial disparity in the death penalty, um, a lot of economic disparity. So they stopped it, quit. That's how people like uh, Sirhan Sirhan, who killed Robert Kennedy, and um, uh, Charlie um, Charles Manson. Manson. They were taken off death row and given life sentences after that case. The court came back in the middle 70s and said, okay, we're going to allow this. But what we want is a bifurcated process. We want people to be found guilty of murder. And then when they're found guilty of murder, we want a second or a bifurcated proceeding to say there are aggravating and mitigating circumstances. And they have kind of a separate trial on those aggravated and mitigating circumstances and if there are enough aggravating circumstances, the, the death penalty is imposed. Um, it was done primarily two ways across the states. One is there's the jury convicts a person of murder, the jury is held, and then a separate penalty, death penalty trial is given to the jury to say whether the person should, should be executed or not. If I recall, I believe Colorado's like that because the Colorado theater shooting guy went through that. Uh, There were states like Nebraska that impaneled a three-judge panel after the person was found guilty, and the judges would decide unanimously there were enough aggravating circumstances to put the person to death. But with all that being said, the death penalty has really retreated over the last 30 or 40 years. Very few executions being carried out in the United States. Most of them are lethal injection. And more and more states are jumping off the death penalty. It's very time consuming, very expensive. There's obviously the morality arguments over it. Iowa is unique in that we did away with the death penalty in the early 1960s. One of the first states in the country that did. 
why do you hear that like people are on death row for so long? Depends on the state, depends on the case, depends on the circumstances left for appeal. Carrie Dean Moore was executed in Nebraska about, I want to say three or four years ago. And I believe he was on death row for almost 40 years. The, the breadth and the extent of the appeals process in death penalty cases is extensive. And with folks like the Innocence Project and some of these DNA projects that have occurred where they have discovered some people were executed that did not commit the crime they were accused of, I think a lot of people are taking pause in these cases. So back, this is like way back in the day, do you think the judge just got to say like, oh, the case was that bad, I'm going to impose the death penalty? Yeah, I mean, if it was a murder, first degree murder in Iowa, it was usually a capital penalty. But it was kind of the judge's decision. I think of it, and I would have to go back and look at the statute. I don't know this for sure, but I think if they were convicted of murder in the first degree in Iowa, the judge didn't have a lot of choices. I think it was a capital case. So... Like you don't think race played into it at all because it was just like an automatic you're put. To oh, this. no, I think race played into lots of these cases. And so in this case, I don't know specifically, but I mean, that's one of the reasons Supreme Court called it the death penalty in the early 70s was there was a great deal of evidence that the death penalty was being given out indis- or discriminately against certain people economically and racially. Okay. In Um, The newspapers we read, there was like this weird report of there was a debate whether to hang him at sunrise or at high noon. Have you ever heard of this like being a thing like when they when they impose the death penalty, is there like a set time of day you have to do it? Most states execute prisoners at a minute past midnight on the day of their execution. So if their date is the fifth of the month. At 12.01 on the 5th, that's usually when they execute. They carry out the sentence right away. Now, it all depends on the appeals. You know, you can appeal to the United States Supreme Court in death penalty cases. So it just depends on that. But a lot of states will execute right after the midnight on the day the sentence is supposed to be done. This was so funny. I shouldn't say funny, but it was just weird because the warden was arguing that he wanted it to be done at high noon. It just yeah, seemed yeah. a little traumatic. And he, it did happen was, then. I don't think there was anything in the statute. That was just the warden's preference. Yeah. Um, our victim's family member is usually invited to watch a death sentence. Yes. In many states, if you're a, there's a certain group of people that will get an invite, usually a member of the press, usually a member of the clergy, somebody from the victim's family, or a couple of people from the victim's family, somebody obviously from the family of the uh, defendant. So they, there is a prescribed list and it differs depending on the state. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, um, it would have been interesting to be around back then because I think that county changed dramatically after the coal mines closed down. I think the population changed the, uh, both in growth and the, the texture, if you will, of the population um, because those mines all closed down. So it just shows you economically how things can change in a county in a very short time. Cool. Well, thanks for joining. We'll call you again. Okay. Oh, hello there. 
As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.